Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Back and welcoming to the show, we have Catherine Casey. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. And how are you today? You know, I'm great, Alan. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, starting to be spring, sort of, where I'm at. So. Well, it is where I'm at, too. I'm in Houston. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, it, and it's a beautiful day here today. Yeah, that, yeah. A lot of people are getting some bad bad winter out there. but um, I know. I feel sorry for them. I grew up in Wisconsin, so I understand bad, bad winters. Just tell our, our audience who you are and kind of what you've been doing. Well, I'm a journalist. I'm in located in Houston, based in Houston, Texas, and I've been covering crime cases since, the 1980s, uh, first for magazines and since the mid-90s for books. I have 11 published books, or 12 actually. This is my 12th book. Nine of them are true crime books and three of them are mysteries. And uh, I've kind of specialized with the books in Texas cases. So I've covered everything. I started out with a uh, case about a, a sexual predator here in Houston back in the 1990s. That pub- that book was published uh, actually 20 years ago this month in January of 1995. Wow! And this is my most my most recent book is Deliver Us. It's on the I-45 uh, Texas Killing Fields cases. What what brought you into um, doing mystery and crime? Is that something you've always been interested in, or? You know, I, I looking. I always tell people that I kind of fell into it, and to some extent I did. I was assigned to work on 
crime articles for magazines. Um, I'd written for Rolling Stone and, and Texas Monthly, and I was with uh, Ladies Home Journal, which you wouldn't think would cover crime, but we did pretty extensively, actually, back in the 80s and, and the 90s. Uh, I was a contributing editor there for 18 years. So I, it seems that I must have had a knack for it because the editors kept assigning the cases. I kind of became the go-to person for some of the magazines when there was an interesting crime case. And from there, one of them turned into, the first one turned into a book, and I've been, for a while I did both, and now I, I'm writing just the books. I think they're, they're kind of fascinating in ways. They, they really open up a lot about what human nature is like and what people are capable of and what types of things will set them off. And they tend to show the very worst people are capable of and the very best, right. which is, really an interesting kind of spectrum to look at within the confines of a single case. Uh, Deliver Us very much is like that. There's this horrible, these horrible, horrible tragedies of these girls disappearing uh, and many, most of them dying along I-45 in, in south of Houston. And on the other hand, there are these parents who, uh, while not getting justice for their own daughters, have gone on to try to help other families. So you tend to see a lot of, you tend to learn a lot about human nature when you're working on crime cases, working on books about crime cases. Yeah. I bet that sort of, it changes the way you deal with people on a daily basis too, wouldn't it? Well, it does to some extent. You know, I tend to uh, look differently at people now than I used to. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I understand what a, Especially after this book, uh, these these girls were all victims of chance. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if they had taken a different route that day, they would still be alive. And they'd be mothers and grandmothers and, you know, never would have realized what might have happened. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm more aware of destiny and fate in this world than I think a lot of people are and how it works. And so getting into the book, it started in, what, 1971, I believe? Well, that's, that, that's the, yes. Back in 1971 through 1977, 11 girls died in and around Galveston Island, and it's believed that there was a serial killer on the island during those years and that he was hunting uh, teenage girls. The first one who died was Brenda Jones. Uh, she was an African-American girl, and she had just left. She was visiting her aunt at the hospital. The last girl who died was a little girl named Susie Bowers. I believe she was 12 years old, and she had just left her grandparents' house and was walking home to her, her parents' home to pick up a swimsuit to go down to the beach to meet a bunch of friends. It was Memorial Day weekend. These were all fairly young victims. They were. They were. The girls in the 80s, I, I, I divided it up, Alan, into, I only took the cases between 1971 and 2000, and I divided them up in the book by decades. So there are those girls on Galveston Island back in the 1970s. The girls in the 1980s are the four women, uh, two of whom, at least one of whom was a teenager. The others, uh, it's believed, were older. Two of the victims are unidentified whose bodies were found in a field, an oil field off Calder Drive or Calder Road, 
um, in Lake City, Texas, which is right off I-45. It's literally in the shadow of I-45. And a, a woman, a young girl, a college student named Shelley Sykes, who was forced off the road one night and disappeared. And then in the 1990s, uh, there are uh, three big cases. There's the um, the first one is Crystal Jean Baker, and Crystal was believed is believed to be or re- reputed to be a uh, great niece of Marilyn Monroe's, and she was abducted. She had gotten angry with her grandmother and stalked off, as teenagers do. I think we all remember doing things like that as teenagers where we were angry with our parents. And she stalked off to walk to a friend's house and never arrived, disappeared. And then Laura Kate Smither, that was in 1996. Laura disappeared in 1997, April of 1997. She was a 12-year-old, just about to turn 13, who was studying to be a ballerina and wanted to get a little exercise in and went out jogging. And she was only supposed to be gone for 20 minutes, and she never came home. And then there's another young girl named Jessica Kane, a teenager. She was just starting. She would have been a freshman in college, studying, ironically, criminal justice uh, in another month. And uh, it appeared that she was also forced off the road onto the onto the side road on I-45 and abducted. Her body has never been found. Oh, now, do you find that, was there a... Something that um, the serial killer had in in doing these crimes, like was there something he did he or uh, did similarly to each person, or were they each one totally different? Well, these are not the same killers. There, there. It was rumored way back that there was one person responsible for all this carnage over over all three of these decades. But as you look at these cases, as I looked at them, that turned out not to be true. There, it's presumed that there was one killer in the Galveston cases back in the 1970s. The girls were almost all teenagers. Uh, they looked a little bit alike. They had brown hair. It was part. Most of the girls had their hair parted down the middle. Um, so there were there were some similarities. They they were killed in different ways though, and their bodies were all found uh, in like deserted areas, principally near water. Um, and then there's in the 1980s there are the four women who were found in the killing field that's presumed to be a serial uh, another serial killer but then there are you know just individual cases like the Shelley Sykes case there are actually two men in prison uh, for abducting Shelley they were not they never found Shelley's body so they they were never tried for her murder but it's believed that they murdered her Okay. And uh, she was just a one-chance victim who was out on the road that night and her car crossed paths with the wrong two guys in a truck. And in the 90s, um, there is somebody who, just as I was working on the book, I went to the trial, was tried for Crystal Baker's killing. Uh, he's only been convicted of the one murder, only. Um as if one isn't enough, but I mean, he was only convicted of the one case, but it's believed he he may be responsible for others. And uh, there is a suspect in the Laura Smither case that's also the suspect in some other cases. So it, you really have to look at the individual cases, Alan. It's a different story depending on which case you're looking at. 
So, so there was quite a few killers then. So, uh, what was it? Just what was the common thing? It was just the area of being on I forty five, or like I I I've been interviewing and I talked a lot with the um, film maker and editor of the uh, Highway of Tears, and I know they had quite a few. And uh, so, is it just a crime of opportunity then, or? Sometimes it is, uh, like with the Shelley Sykes case. There was, you know, in that case, she just happened to be down the road, and literally her car crossed paths with the other cars. But it really, it really depends on the case. If you have to look at the individual case, um, the thing that binds these cases is that back in the '90s, after Laura Smither disappeared, uh, there was a lot of outcry in the Houston area and that was the first time that the Houston Chronicle and the Galveston Daily News, Galveston, Galveston County Daily News, uh, published charts in the newspaper showing the photos of the girls along with individual uh, write-ups about what had happened to them. And uh, at that point people started to realize that there were a lot of killings in this, in this particular area, a lot of abductions of young girls and young women and that they and that they were going unsolved, that these cases were not uh, ending up in a courtroom, and that these families were living for decades without any uh, justice. Uh, families never get closure, Alan. Right. When they lose somebody, they they don't. Um, as long as I've been doing this, I've I haven't found anybody who any family who's ever told me that even after a trial they have a sense of closure, but at least they get a sense of justice and and they. They pull some comfort from knowing what happened and who is responsible. These families have had none of that. Yeah, it's important to find out. I mean, if you have someone that's gone missing, you'll you'll always be wondering what happened to them. Why why have all these cases gone unsolved? Like, what's what's the the issue? Um, well, you know, stranger abductions are very difficult to solve. It's much easier to uh, have, you know, to find out who murdered someone if that person is somehow connected with them, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, an enemy that they've made over, you know, and there, there's internet, there's something that that shows that there was a connection between these two people, what went wrong and why it happened. When it's a stranger abduction and somebody literally vanishes, and that person has no no connection at all with the abductor. It's very difficult. I'm sure your program with Highway of Tears looked at that. But on the other hand, these happened in an area back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that was uh, a patchwork of small towns. There are 11 different jurisdictions down in this area. And for many, many years, for literally throughout this time, they were not comparing notes. The police agencies were handling these cases separately and not sharing information, which made it very difficult. The other thing is in small towns back especially, now these, these are bigger communities now and their, their police forces have more resources. Uh, as Houston's grown up, these have become sub, suburbs, uh, bedroom communities that feed the city. So they have more money, they have more training, there are still, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they could still use more, but they have a lot more available than they had back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
and at that time, uh, a lot of the parents told me that the police learned on their daughter's cases. Uh, a lot of mistakes were made. Uh, they originally assumed, and in these cases wrongly, that the girls were runaways. Even when the family said that these were, you know, good kids, that there were no, no, no problems in the household, that there was no indication that they had run away, the parents were often told to, you know, just wait and they'll come home. And by the time the police started to look, you know, days, weeks, months had passed. So this was a problem. The other thing is that in this particular area, there's a, a big transient population. There are the people going down to the beach in Galveston, the vacationers. There are people working at the refineries and the, uh, the chemical plants along the coastline in the Gulf. Uh, there's a lot of in industry down there. People tend to come in, contract labor. They work a short time and leave. There are cruise ships that come in, and there are crews on the cruise ships that are there just briefly, and then they take off again. So it's, you know, it's a very transient area, and it's, uh, it's been a problem. The subject is the I-45 Texas Killing Field Murders. The guest, Catherine Casey, will be back right after this break. And, and how would it have been reported back then? Like, you know, in the 70s, how did, was the area sort of in a terror terror mood? Or is it like, were they sort of scared of some sort of killings going on? Or was it just not reported? Back in the 70s when this happened, uh, the families became very concerned. A lot of people on Galveston Island and throughout that area were, 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 were worried. They, you have to excuse me, I just got back from the dentist. <laughs> it's a little hard to talk. Um, they were very concerned about their daughters. They were, uh, there was a rumor going around that all of the girls had been wearing purple and they were calling him the purple passion killer. It, it's true that some of the girls did have an article of clothing on that was purple. Parents had stopped their girls on the way out the door to make sure that... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. They weren't wearing anything purple. They, you know, you have to look at the time period, too, because back in the 70s, a lot of kids hitchhiked. A lot of the girls did. It was kind of a coming-of-age thing. It was the whole hippie era. Haight-Ashbury was going on. It, it was this whole, the, the whole country was going through a metamorphosis, and this part of the country was as well, and the kids were striking out and claiming their freedom, and part of that, unfortunately, was that they got into trucks and cars with people that they didn't know, and a lot of times, well, sometimes it turned out to be the wrong person. Right. And there were, and some of them, you said, were, were kind of forced off the road, um, so uh, that must have been a pretty... Um, desolate or rural area that that happens in, right? Or well, you know that at that time, and there are still stretches of I forty five, despite the fact that I mean, Houston is the fourth largest city in the U S. So we've grown, uh, but there are still areas as you get going toward Galveston that are fairly quiet. And back in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, they were very, you know, there was a lot of open area. Uh, with trees along the side of the of I-45, and yes, they were. Um, Shelley Sykes uh, was driving down I-45. She had just left her job as a waitress on the island and was heading over to watch a movie with her boyfriend on the mainland, and uh, caught the attraction of two guys in a truck, um, and they flirted. She re- rebuffed them. They grew angry. Uh, they were drugged up, they were drunk, and they pursued her off and pushed her, forced her off the road, uh, followed her when she got off, and she ended up skidding out and getting mired in the mud along the, along the freeway. And people in Shelley's case did see what happened, uh, but didn't report it till the next day. Oh. This is the time, too, Alan, before cell phones. Right. So these girls couldn't just get on the telephone and call for help. And the other thing is that back in the 80s uh, and in the 70s, some of the girls who disappeared, because remember they didn't have their, didn't have cell phones, uh, were abducted. The last time they were seen, they were talking on cell phones at or talking on pay phones outside convenience stores. I'm trying to wrap around the idea of, do you think this is something that goes on and? other areas in the U.S. Um, with highways and sections uh, that, that would be similar in other states? Well, you know, I did talk to a retired FBI profiler about this, and, and he wonders if 
this is real, truly an anomaly in this area or if you know, on a smaller scale this isn't going on throughout the country. He estimated that there are about 300 serial killers active in the U.S. at any one particular time. You know, there's that beach up in uh, the Hamptons, uh, you know, near New York, right. uh, where there have been, you know, I'm not sure, maybe 10 or 15 women's bodies found over the, uh, or, you know, remains found. Yeah. And there are different areas, like your highway of chairs that you mentioned up in Canada, um, where they noticed this a lot of times, uh, he felt that since often police agencies, even today with VICAP and all the reporting that they're supposed to be doing, they don't always do it. And his, uh, you know, his, his take on this was that perhaps if we really looked across the country, we would find that this is not all that unusual, that there are, uh, you know, young men and young women who, you know, periodically disappear. So, um, you know, the highways, you, when you're out on, a, on an interstate or you're on a country road walking, um, it, it's a good idea to, to be aware of surroundings and, and who's around. And, of course, to never, ever get in a car. Right. I mean, that's opening yourself up, right? You. Uh, well, as uh, the FBI profiler told me, he had gone into the prisons and inter- interviewed quite a few serial killers, and one of the things he heard from almost all of them was that once the victim got in the car, they knew that they had her. You know, it was all over. Yeah, you, you give up a certain amount of freedom when you do that. Well, you can't escape, you know, and it's harder to get out. Now, there's, there's a chapter in the book uh, about a woman named Sandra Sepa who was picked up by um, at a Waffle House and forced into a restaurant and forced into his truck, and she actually jumped out on I-45. Wow. And because of that, lived. But of all these people that have gone missing and have, or that have been found... How many have they actually um, found the reason like, and, and caught the, the person that did it? Well, not many of them. There are some in the book that have, you know, um, that have had trials. There's uh, Shelley Sykes, and two men were um, tried and convicted for abducting her off I-45. There's Crystal Jean Baker... And that trial, uh, Crystal died back in 96, and Kevin Edison Smith was just tried in 2011 or early 2012, I believe, actually, uh, for her murder. And uh, so there are a few. I, I went in. There are also suspects in some of these cases, and they're in prison for other crimes. And I did go into the prisons and interview the main suspects. For instance, in the 1970s killings, there's a man named Ed Bell who's in prison here in Texas. He was convicted of a murder in 19, uh, that it was committed in 1978, and uh, he had moved onto the island just before those killings started. And he, uh, the killings ended when he took off uh, after when he was, he was out on bail awaiting trial for uh, killing someone else. So he's uh, 
in my opinion, a prime suspect. We don't have anything that, um, you know, we don't have DNA or anything that positively says that Ed Bell murdered those girls on the island, but he says that he did it, and he remembers a lot of the facts. Uh, There's a chapter in the book where I talk about going into prison and interviewing Ed. Um, Ed has, uh, you know, has... um, has psychiatric issues. Um, I don't know what his diagnosis is. I I said in the book that he talked about uh, paranoid schizophrenia quite a bit, and it's possible that that's what he suffers from. But it's hard to write Ed off because Ed knows an awful lot about these murders that happened 40 years ago. Or be convicted of any, probably. I don't know. You know, I've been uh, pushing here in Texas, uh, in these communities, to get them to try to go back and find the evidence. Uh, this isn't, now remember, this is on the Gulf Coast. So these are communities that have gone through horrible hurricanes over the last 40, 50 years. So it's possible that that evidence is, in fact, gone. They tell me that it's gone. But I have to wonder if there's not a box someplace in a storeroom that doesn't have something from those murders back in the 1970s there's a shirt that's missing from the Killing Fields uh, murders in the 1980s that DNA could be done on today and perhaps lead to you know, lead to a conclusion to, to let us all know what really did happen to these women. Have you gone in and, and interviewed with quite a few of the people that were suspects or convicted of something? I interviewed uh, three of them in prison. Uh, one... Ed Bell from the 1970s, a guy named Mark Stallings, uh, who's in prison, uh, for the 1980s killings, for one of the killing field killings. And I interviewed a guy named William Lewis Reese, uh, who's a prime suspect in the abduction of, one of the prime suspects in, in the abduction of Jessica Kane is the primary suspect in the abduction and murder of Laura Kate Smither, and who it's thought is responsible. They just recently found his DNA. Uh, I, I have been told this uh, by investigators on a, uh, a murder victim from that same year, from 1997, in Oklahoma. Mm. So it's, there's a lot of... Uh, conjecture around Bill Reese that he may be a serial killer. This has not been proven. He's never been tried or convicted of killing anyone. So of any of them, do you feel like any of them were maybe wrongly accused, or do you sort of feel pretty secure with, with who they've got in prison? Well, they're not in prison for those crimes, Alan. Uh, mm. The crimes that they're in prison for, there's there's really no doubt that they committed um, the doubt is, or, you know, the speculation is that they're also responsible for the murders of some of these women along I-45, but they have not been tried, so they're just allegations, and it's conjecture at this point. Right. So what were you hoping to um, see happen with with these murders and, and after writing the book? Well, you know, I'm a crime writer, and I've been a crime writer. I've been covering crime cases for a long time, and I looked at every time the newspaper here ran, every time the Houston Chronicle ran that chart with those girls' faces. 
I wanted to know what happened to them. There's never been a really good look at these cases, kind of pulling it all together. I wanted answers. I wanted to know who the suspects were. I wanted to know what, what really happened in each of these cases. I wanted to figure out why they hadn't been solved. And I wanted to stir things up a little bit and see if, uh, if we couldn't finally get some, uh, you know, uh, get beyond just, you know, the point we were at, which is that these were just listed as the mysteries along I-45. I think I did that with the book. I think Deliver Us really looks at these cases individually. It explores what the possibilities are, and it lists the suspects and says why they're suspects. Um, I wanted to look at it from all sides, too, because I, I really thought it was important to go in and talk to these, to these men uh, and get their side of the story, because unless we talk to them, unless we figure out what happened to them, why they ended up doing the things that they say they did, assuming they have actually done them, uh, you know, we don't know how to, how to watch for this in the future. We don't know how to ever stop this from happening. So, I, you know, I wanted really a clear look at it, and I think the book really does that. Okay, and, and so do you think that, um, do you think that uh, it'll eventually come to something, like where, where people will actually finally get some, some idea of what happened to some of these uh, victims, or? I don't know. I'm hoping so. I know that I've stirred things up enough that a lot of these cases are being looked at again, where they hadn't been in a very long time. Uh, I'm really disappointed that they haven't really gone in and uh, looked at, you know, Ed Bell to see if he could be responsible for those cases back in the 70s. I have not heard that they've reopened those investigations. I'd like to see that. But the cases in the 80s and the 90s, thanks to the parents continuing to push, and the fact that I've been walking around knocking on doors in law enforcement and asking a lot of questions are getting looked at again. And if the evidence is there this time around, perhaps something will be done. I'm hoping that that's the outcome. These cases have really haunted this part of Texas, uh, you know, the, along this Gulf Coast. And people didn't forget Laura Smither and they didn't forget a lot of these victims and every time they popped up in the paper everybody would go, well gee I wonder what a lot of people would go, I wonder what happened to those women, I wonder what happened to those teenage girls who could have done that do you think it was just one so the book is really being well received because people have grown up with these cases they've come of age with these cases uh, there are a lot of people here who knew the victims, knew the victims families Laura Miller, who was one of the victims found in the killing field, her dad, Tim, uh, is very high profile, not only here, but throughout the nation. He's the founder of Texas EquiSearch. Mm -hmm. um, he took this horrible, horrible tragedy that he went through and decided that he wanted to, to help other families so they never went through wondering for 17 months what had happened to their daughter. Uh, Laura disappeared in, in 1984, and her, her remains weren't found until 1986. Hmm. So he founded Texas EquiSearch, and he's been going around the nation and really the world uh, helping law enforcement and helping families uh, look at, looking for their missing loved ones. Yeah. So these are very high-profile cases throughout Texas, and throughout really the nation. If you look on the uh, internet, there's a lot about these cases where people are speculating. 
And so, when the girls disappeared, articles ran in the UK. They ran, you know, kind of throughout the United States. When the girls in the seventies disappeared, it was on uh, Walter Cronkite talked about it on the national news. Right. So these are really big cases down here. People get a hold of you, and if people want to have um, some comment toward you um, or, or about your your searching and your book, how would they best do that? Well, I have a website, which is uh, KatherineCasey.com. It's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-C-A-S-E-Y.com. And I have an email, which is uh, KC at KatherineCasey.com. And uh, the book is available throughout uh, the nation, uh, through Barnes & Noble or any of your independent bookstores or any of your local bookstores or on the Internet. It's an ebook or uh, mass market paperback. In an audio book, it just came out in audio last week. Yeah, that's great. And actually, we have that linked up to the website so that uh, people can uh, read about you and and get a hold of your book. Great, thank you. Well, I have to say thank you very much for uh, doing the work and and getting it out there for the people. And uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere now. Download our free app now for the iPhone and iPad. Look for the Warren Exchange or House of Mystery app at the Apple App Store today. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. I'll be back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, 
or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.